we are kicking off today a brand new teaching series, one that we actually do every year by the same title, At the Movies. And it's one of my favorite ones of the year. Let me tell you what it's all about. Basically, we take popular movies, uh, different theme every year, but popular movies, and we use them as a springboard to do more importantly, dive into the Bible and see what God's truth is for us. And so it's a lot of fun. Churches around the nation do them. And, we, and, and this year, our theme is the fight. And so our movies each week are gonna be based around movies with fight themes, wars, battles, uh, fighters. Today, our hero, our fighter is a boxer, a guy named Rocky Balboa. We're going all the way back to 1976, and I wanna just jump in this morning by talking about this movie, kind of give you the lay of the land with how to say, if you haven't seen the movie, uh, it's a classic. It's been around for a long time. Uh, it might've been 30 years old when you were born, and so you, it's, it's on Amazon Prime. You can go watch it. It's still there. It's a really good movie. Um, but uh, let, me, let me introduce you to Rocky Balboa. Here's a picture of Rocky. Rocky uh, is a prize fighter, kind of washed up. He didn't have much going on. He's living in Philadelphia. And uh, one of the greatest qualities of Rocky Balboa is he's not too smart. Like, this, he's not a very intelligent guy, and that plays out through the whole movie. And so there's this great scene, and one of my favorite lines in the movie is when he's talking to his girlfriend, and he says, my old man was never too smart. And he says to me, you weren't born with too much brain, you know? So uh, you better start using your body, right? So I became a fighter, you know what I mean? I don't know, I've been practicing that. That's Rocky Balboa. Um, and, so, and so that's Rocky. And so he wasn't very smart. And so he became a fighter, and he wasn't a great fighter. He could have been, but he never got his chance. Like Mick, Mick never came in and gave him his chance, man. And so he ends up just being a prize fighter. One of the first scenes we see, he's just getting his butt kicked, and then he finds some stamina somewhere and he comes back and he wins the fight and you see this brutal fight and he gets the payout for the fight. He makes $40.50. That's all he makes. And so he's not making a living as a boxer. So he has to make money another way. Uh, it's a hard life. You see that he lives in the slums. You see that he lives in a rough area and he uses his fighting skills uh, to work for this kind of gang boss loan shark guy. And so he walks around collecting money from people and if they can't pay up, he breaks their thumbs, that's what he does. And, uh, and so, you know, it's a hard life. And, and, and you see some ups and downs of Rocky's life as he walks through this rough neighborhood because you can see that he kind of hates it. He doesn't want to live in this situation. He wishes he could live out this dream of being a fighter, a boxer, but instead he's living in this area. And so you see some glimmers of hope as he, for example, takes a young girl under his wing and, and guides her home, gets her out of a bad neighborhood and gives her some advice in a way that only Rocky can with a very limited vocabulary to basically stay off the streets and make good choices. And, and she basically calls him a creep and he walks away. And he's like, yeah, yeah, well, what kind, who are you to be giving advice, you creep? He's down on himself and he's got a bad situation. There's a major plot, uh, two major plots of this movie. Uh, one, like a lot of great movies, revolve around a love story. And so we meet his love interest. Her name is Adrian. <laughs> Good job. Hey, yo, Adrian. There's some people who were born in the 90s and, and sooner. They're like, what are they doing? Um, it's on Amazon Prime Video. Check it out. Um, but Adrian is, you know, he's chasing her heart, but she's not interested. And so every night he goes home and he, write, he makes up a dumb joke. And then he goes to the pet store where she works and he tells her the jump joke and she doesn't laugh. And that's, it's awkward to be honest. I'm like, they could have filmed that better. But that's, that's how that went. But the bigger plot line of the story is that Rocky gets this break. Uh, it's the biggest break of his life, okay? There is the heavyweight championship, boxing championship uh, of the world is, is coming to Philadelphia where he lives. And the great fighter, 
the great Apollo Creed is coming to defend his title. And just a few weeks before the fight, his opponent gets hurt. And so cut to the chase, Apollo makes this crazy decision to give an unknown boxer a chance at the title. And looks through a book of boxer names. Rocky's got a great nickname. Does everybody remember what it is? Anybody? That's it. The Italian Stallion. So he's the Italian Stallion, and he sees the Italian Stallion, and he goes, that's a great name. I want to fight the Italian Stallion. He doesn't know anything about whether Rocky's a good fighter or not. But anyway, Rocky gets his chance. So the rest of the movie, the majority of the movie, is spent watching Rocky get ready for this fight. And it's hard. He's not in great shape. But the first thing you learn as an athlete by watching Rocky is that first thing in the morning, you need to crack five eggs into a glass and drink them raw. How, be honest, how many as a young man actually tried that because you were like, Rocky did it? I've got my hand up because it's true. Yeah, thank you, Carl. Thank you. Me and Carl are eating raw eggs. I don't think that that's wise, but we did it uh, and we survived. And, but it's hard and he, he fights through it and he has to, he discovers his limits and he pushes past his limits and he goes through all these crazy training techniques. He's like running through town, hair, carrying bricks. His buddy like works in a meat locker and he's like going, he's beating up beef. Like that's how he's boxing. Um, and, and he's also got to put up with all these people who are haters and they're like, you'll never win. Apollo Creed is the heavyweight champion of the world. You'll never win. You'll never win. And it's in this training moment that we get one of the most beautiful pictures of cinematography and culturally relevant things. And not only that, one of the greatest soundtracks ever. I love showing a movie clip to these series. And this morning, I want to watch what might be one of my favorite clips. Check this out. <laughs> You're pumped now, right? You want to go eat raw eggs. Um, man, uh, it's funny. When I was looking at that clip, I was like, I should, I should like, cut it down. I should edit it. I should edit it. I was like, no, you can't interrupt that song. You got to do the whole thing. The story of Rocky is a perfect place to springboard into what's going to get us into this whole series this month or for the next five weeks. Because what we're talking about is the fight. The fight, and I don't know if you've ever been in a fight, like maybe you actually boxed at some point in your life. I wrestled in high school, like I loved like the, the combat era portion of that, maybe did karate or taekwondo or jujitsu or something like that, maybe did like that. Maybe you had a sibling, and so like, I know my brother and I, it was, me and my brother were like MMA fighters all the time. Like one of us had a black eye at all times, like just how it went, and that's how you know that we were healthy, like that's how you know things are good. Um, but we spend a lot of time fighting in our life. We fight against people. You know, maybe you fought against your parents. Maybe you fight against your kids. Maybe you spend time fighting against your spouse. And it can get ugly, can't it? When we fight, maybe you grew up in a rough culture. You had to physically fight just to keep your head above the water. Maybe you feel like every day is a fight for you. Maybe you're fighting to keep your finances in order. Uh, maybe you're fighting every day to get through depression or anxiety or, or an, an addiction that's just holding you hostage right now. And it's a fight. It's such a common thing in our lives to have to deal with a fight. So common, in fact, that we just kind of accept it. It's normal life. And we say things like it's whatever, or that's how life goes, or that's how the cookie crumbles, or maybe next time. But I'm telling you this, for all of us, whether we realize it or not, the struggle, the confrontation, the fight has its roots in something 
spiritual. And so today, what we're going to be doing, we love to look to the Bible for the answers to life's most important questions, for God's most powerful truth. But we're going to be in the book of Ephesians. It's in the New Testament of the Bible. And this is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to a group of Christians living in a city called Ephesus. And as he gets close to the end of his letter, he talks about the spiritual battle that we're all in. And he gives us what I believe to be one of the most practical portions of Scripture in the entire New Testament because it's something we can, we can take to the bank. We can use it every day. And we can, no matter what your level of faith is, if you're just here and you're here for the first time, you're like, I came to church for the first time today. I'm glad you're here. I'm pumped. And this is something that you can use. Or you've been a Christian for 60 years. I'm pumped because this is something you can use. You can totally use it in your life. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 6. Look down at verse 10 and we're going to just read the first two verses right now. Ephesians 6, 10 through 12. Paul says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, and against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Maybe you've heard of this ancient uh, general. His name was Sun Tzu. You ever heard of him? He's most famous for a book he wrote called The Art of War. And in this, this was written about 2,500 years ago, Sun Tzu records, uh, he's just this great military strategist, and he records all of his military strategies and his thoughts about war and battle, and he's got a lot of quotable things from this book. 2,500 years later, military leaders still follow his advice, I mean, because the things he wrote were so solid. And this is a quote that's going to just nail us right down today. He says this, he says, know your enemy and know yourself, and you can fight 100 battles without disaster. Know your enemy and know yourself, and you can fight a hundred battles without disaster. In this passage we just read from Ephesians 6, we just were introduced to both, but most specifically, our enemy. We got to know what we're up against, and, and the thing that we see there is actually pretty unnerving because, I mean, the very mention of demonic spiritual forces, if that doesn't make your skin kind of crawl, um, you might not believe in spiritual forces. And, and, and that, there's this kind of a whole spectrum of where you are on talking about demons and spiritual powers and stuff. You might be on one hand, you might think of demons in kind of a fairy tale land. It's like that's the same thing as the gremlins who stole my extra sock in the dryer. You know, that's, that's and demons that, you know, it's like a silly thing. On the other end of the spectrum, there are people who like, they blame demons for everything. Man, the stoplight was red too long. Demons praying away the stoplight. I think that probably both spectrums are, are wrong, <laughs> but somewhere in the middle is the reality that, I mean, across the world, across every culture and throughout history, every culture has acknowledged some form of spiritual life, that there's something deeper than just the physical. Now, there are, there are fringe pieces of most cultures, many cultures, who don't want to acknowledge it. They won't say that it's true or they won't admit it. But like, it's, it seems to me this is not just a Judeo-Christian realization. This is something that we seem to be intuitively knowledgeable about. We feel that there's more to us than just flesh and blood. And here, we're warned outright by the Apostle Paul that our battle in this world is not against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual powers of evil that are out to mess with us. Jesus himself acknowledges demons. In fact, we see him in scripture battling them, if you wanna call it that, a few times, but what's crazy is like just the sheer mention of Jesus' name, demons hit the road running. There's a power in who Jesus is. 
And so it's a reality that, that I mean, wherever you are in your personal faith journey and you're, and, and you're going through this thing, uh, continue that journey. But I, as a teacher from this church and, and, and Christians in general, this, this is a reality that we embrace and accept, that there's a spiritual realm and it's real and it really affects the undercurrent of everything of who we are. And so it's not about the physical. It's not about the cars and the house and the money and the retirement plan. It's about a recognition of a spiritual soul that I have and what happens with that in my relationship to the creator of that soul. I don't know if you believe it, but I've seen it. I saw it, I think maybe for the first time I was aware of it, I was in a little hut in West Africa with a man who claimed to be a witch doctor and I had to sit with him and I remember feeling the weight of it on my chest as I walked into his little house and the missionary I was with, I was 19 years old, said, Christoph, you shall pray. <laughs> and uh, I said, pray, like for the witch doctor? Yes. Um, and I prayed for him and it was, I remember the weight of that today and this was decades ago. I've seen it in the eyes of people friends of mine that I know talk about the oppression that they go through, people uh, that are friends of ours from this church family and people who have seen in this city who have demonic presence in their life. And so this isn't just Harry Potter, witchcraft and wizardry fantasy stuff. I've seen it. And maybe you have too. So what do we do? Well, Paul says we gotta know our enemy and we gotta know how to prepare. And when it comes to knowing our enemy, Paul gives us some instructions. Let's just look at this passage again. He says, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So Paul gives us the best advice ever. He says in verse 13, therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. We gotta know our enemy, but we also gotta know our battle gear. And so this next section is something that we call the armor of God. And it's just several pieces of armor. Here's the thing, if you can get dressed in the morning, generally, you won't wear most of these items of clothing, but if you understand getting dressed, you will be able to memorize some scripture today, okay? And I want you to kinda help me out today. I'm gonna, we're gonna, I'm gonna feed it to you, we're gonna talk about it, and we're gonna, we're gonna chat back and forth, and we're gonna learn these things. Because if we can learn to put these things on in our life, it will dramatically change the fight we go through as we acknowledge that it's not just that we're fighting against things. Here's the deal, when we are, uh, when we are in this fight and we know our enemy, we've gotta understand, our fight is not against flesh and blood. You know what that means? That means my fight is not with you. And your fight is not with someone else outside this room. So when you get caught in the crossfire between a fight with, with your wife or your husband or your kids or some neighbor next door or some Yahoo that cuts you off in traffic, guess what? Your fight's not with them. It's not with them. Now, yes, we are all responsible for our actions. It is important to be kind and courteous. And yes, if you did something wrong, you need to make it right. Like that's, that's real. But on the deeper level, there's something going on in this world that's poking at us, it's prodding us. How do we fight it? We get dressed. We put on what's called the full armor of God. We're gonna read in verse 14, Ephesians 6. We're gonna go one little section at a time. He says first, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. A quick pause here. Uh, you know what the world is sick of? Lies. The world is sick of lies. Quick survey. Who's sick of lies? Anybody? Yeah, I hate them. They ruin everything. You can't watch the news. You don't even know who you can believe or, or, or who's in charge or what's going on because nobody, it's, everybody's got an agenda and no one can just speak truth. And we even, here, you know what Jesus says about lies? He says, Satan is the father of lies. Like when we speak lies, it's the devil's language. Do you know what you do to extinguish lies? 
truth. Truth. Truth prevails over lies. Unfortunately, sometimes truth won't get you out of an unfair punishment because maybe no one doesn't believe your truth. But at the bottom level, truth extinguishes lies. And our culture, our world is sick of lies. And so Paul says, put on the belt of what? Y'all got to talk. Put on the belt of what? Truth. Thank you. Belt of truth. Okay, that's going to happen several times, so now you're ready. All right, put on the belt of truth. Now, here's the thing. I want us to understand some truths. Uh, it, it seems elusive. There's it, like a sliding scale of truth today. Because like, you know, maybe my truth isn't your truth. Like, I don't want to really step on your toes because because we're all politically correct. And I can't, I can't just say what I think because that will hurt someone's feelings. And like, I know, like that might have made some of you mad right now. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to be insensitive. Um, but the reality is truth is a thing. It's a thing. And like, I, truth is a thing. And here, here are a couple of things. Truth does exist. I want to give you this sentence. And it begins by acknowledging the supremacy of God as our creator and seeking him as a foundation for our life. We're not going to agree on everything. We talked about that through our whole series on Romans recently. We're not going to agree on everything. And so there is a bit of a sliding scale on some things, depending on your background, depending on your perspective. But there are some foundational things, and it starts with God. The Bible begins with, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It's foundational. And like a, be- a belt in your outfit, truth kind of holds everything together, <laughs> keeps your spiritual pants up. And it's gonna be something that's gonna keep us going through our life. And that's why we dig into the Bible so deeply each week. I love to have fun. I love to talk about Rocky and tell funny stories. And, but man, we gotta get into God's word because we're gonna find in a minute that that's one of the most important things we have. God is not afraid of our questions. He wants us to dig. He wants us to ask questions. So I wanna tell you a, a few truths that maybe you've got questions about. Here, here's the truth. This is a, this is a foundational truth. You are loved by God and you are valuable. Someone may have told you otherwise. They're liars. You are loved and you are valuable. Here's another one. You have purpose in this life beyond the physical. You are so much more valuable and have so much more purpose than just what you can, what, what product you can produce, what widget you can put on the marketplace, how many hours you can clock in for somebody. Because you are a child of God created in his image and he loves you. You're valuable and you have purpose. Here's another one. There are moral rights and wrongs. There are moral rights and wrongs and they begin by trying to understand the heart of God. Not by trying to understand what makes me feel good or what's gonna get me the most popular vote in some situation. But what is, what is God's nature? Here's another truth. There are gray and complicated areas when it comes to truth aren't there? And so here's the thing Jesus does. He teaches truth, but he leads with love. So when it comes to us taking the values that we find in scripture, I think one thing that Christianity in a lot of areas have been guilty of and and at fault for is that we take truth and we think the best way to institute truth is by shoving it down people's throats, whether they want it or not, showing up on their front doorstep with a Bible so we can slap them with it. I, I, I just don't think, especially in our culture, that's ever gonna be effective anymore. There was a period maybe decades and decades ago where that was effective, but I, and I even think it wasn't very effective then. It was just literally scaring the hell out of people. That's, they were like, let me tell you about hell and then let me scare you from that and then okay, let's go baptize you, okay? Now we're done. And then no discipleship and no, no, no. Truth is real. It's hard to navigate truth sometimes and we've gotta lead with love. I could talk all day about that, y'all. If you know me, you know I love that subject. But what's the first piece of our armor? The belt of... 
truth. All right, so we move on. We get to the second half. The belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness. Oh, yeah, you're with me. Righteousness. The breastplate of righteousness. Um, when you think breastplate of righteousness, you know, we're thinking armor here. We're thinking... Uh, uh, we've got a couple of police officers in the room. We're thinking your bulletproof vest, you know. We're thinking uh, football fans. Oh, it's football season, guys. It's here. It almost feels like football season outside. We're talking the pads. We're talking the protection. Why? Why? Okay, I don't want to get into all the logistics of how pads work. I want to talk about what righteousness is because that's the point, okay? What is this important piece of armor? It's righteousness. And righteousness at its very foundation is just doing good, doing the right thing. It's the state of being right, how do we measure rightness? By first understanding the truth, that there is a God and he is the author of life and of morality and other things. And so how do we do right? Well, we measure it by him. There's a, there's a fallacy we fall into that we say that, okay, I do good and I do right because I wanna earn God's favor. Like I wanna climb this ladder of rightness and the better right I get, the closer I can get to God. And that just doesn't work because we just don't have a long enough ladder. It doesn't work. Uh, our righteousness, our goodness never works because our sin is what pulls us away from the presence of God. So God has bridged the gap. We've talked about grace many, many times. We've talked about God's sacrifice, sending Jesus down. And if you wanna know more about that, I, we, lots of people in here would love to talk to you more about it. But it, it's, it's, it's the state of rightness, not because I wanna earn God's favor, but because I have God's favor, I wanna make him proud. I wanna do what God wants me to do because man, thank you, God. We said when we were studying through the book of Romans that wickedness brings God's wrath. But see if you can finish this sentence. But righteousness brings God, do you remember? Peace is a good answer. Joy. Righteousness brings God joy. When we do right, God looks at us like a proud father going, man, you're, you're, act, you're acting like I raised you. <laughs> you're acting like I want you to raise, uh, live. And, and so we put that on. We, we do our best to find what God wants us to do, and we live in that. Not because it's gonna earn his grace, but because of his grace, we wanna live that way. Okay, we got several to get through. So first we put on the belt of, the breastplate of, yeah, y'all are killing it. This takes me back to my youth ministry days. You're rocking it. All right, next he says, this is my favorite one because of how wordy it is. Next he says, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Feet fitted with, okay, we're thinking shoes, okay. Feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. So much we could unpack there. But, but the thing about there that I think is the, the like action word there is, is readiness. Readiness. When we know God's gospel of truth and peace, when we know, we know God's gospel, the gospel is that God has a plan for us to be in his presence. He sent Jesus. That's the gospel. It's the good news. When we have good news, we can be ready to advance into the world. And one of the greatest abilities of an army is readiness. Nobody wants an army who's just laying around on bean bags, you know, eating Cheetos all day. It's like, all right, guys, we're being attacked. Okay, I got two more episodes on Netflix. Nobody wants that. You want an army, you want a support force, you want your fence, you want your dog. Anybody got a dog that's worthless for guarding your house? Like, dog's like, row, 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 row. okay, come in, <laughs> you know? Like, nobody wants that. We want readiness. And he says, listen, you're gonna fight this battle, so you need to be ready. You know what's gonna get you ready? You need to know about Jesus. You need to have the gospel of peace. And you can wear that like shoes. It's gonna make you ready. And the thing about it, when we got our shoes on, we can do the, the biggest commandment Jesus ever gave us, which was to go into the world. Go, take the message, be ready. We're wearing the belt of, the breastplate of, and our feet fitted with the righteousness that comes from the 
gospel of peace. Ooh, that's a mouthful. You got it memorized, don't you? All right, next up. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith. Faith is like, like, it's like the generic word for religion. And so I just wanna be clear here about what Paul is saying. It's not just like have some faith in something. I believe in the Cubs. Go Cubs. You know, like, no, this, this is faith specifically. And let me finish this sentence. Take up the shield of faith which, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. We put our faith in things that are powerless to stop evil. But biblical faith, the faith that Jesus talks about is the ability to know God is who he says he is. And he will do the things he has promised he will do, therefore I will act like it. And when you look at these old school ancient battles where people would run into war with shields, the, the, the courage that they had to run in was because they had something to protect them. Now here's the thing about faith. Uh, we just watched the Rocky clip and, 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 and we see him training. Faith has many times been described as a muscle. And it's a muscle that uh, for some is stronger than others. But guess what? We've all got it. We've, got, we've all got it. Jesus talks about the power of small faith. Wherever you are in your faith, maybe you can just take some steps to build that muscle. And there's some simple things you can do. One thing you can do is just begin to trust God with your time. Say, God, you know, I don't know a whole lot about you. I don't know what's going on. But tell you what, I'm, I'm going to have faith that if I put some time into learning more about you, I know I'm busy. I got a million things on my calendar, but I'm gonna invest this time. I'm gonna come to church, I'm gonna go to a small group, I'm gonna read my Bible 30 minutes a week, and I'm gonna get in, I'm gonna try to learn some stuff. And it's faith, because faith is like, I don't know what's gonna happen if I invest that time, but I trust that it's gonna turn out better. That's just a small thing of faith. One thing Jesus and all over scripture were challenged to have faith with is our, our money. I want to be clear right now. I'm the preacher standing on stage at a church. I'm talking about money, and here's what I'm going to say. This is not a talk about put more money in an off and pray to church. It's not. God has taken care of this church. He's taken care of the church forever, and I don't, there's no reason for me to stand on the stage and say, like, hey, put more money in the offering plate, or God's not loving our church. No, this is for you to trust God. And one thing he says to test him in is with your generosity and with your supporting of the kingdom of God. And so here's what I want to encourage you to do. Look at your money. See what you got and say, how can I intentionally take a portion of this to do what Jesus did best, which is to love other people? If we took a survey of this room right now, there would probably be a 50-50 or 60-40 split of people who have like way too much money and then people who are struggling every week just to make it. Maybe you could say, God, what can I do just to help somebody? What can I do just to step up and do something? And, and I'm telling you, that's on the whole scale. I mean, if, you, if you're struggling to make ends meet, God still expects you to trust him with your finances. And so maybe you can support someone that you know, a, a ministry, a missionary, a Christian nonprofit, or of course, your local church family and the ministry that they do. But God says, trust him. What if I trust God with a really hard conversation I need to have? And I'm just gonna step out and do it in faith because God tells me I need to do these things. Here's the thing. If we begin to test our faith and grow it, it's a muscle. And it becomes a shield. And what does that shield do? It protects us from the flaming evils, uh, arrows of the evil one. And if there's anything I could use from day to day, it's protection from evil. Because from all sides, I'm being tempted, I'm being pulled aside, I'm being uh, dragged away, and, and I don't need that in my life, and, and neither do you.
We got the belt of, we got the breastplate of, feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace, and we've got the shield of, and he says next, take the helmet of salvation. There's a great comedian, I won't even get into it, but he talks about, like, we're a culture who invented the helmet, which means we're doing things that require a helmet. Like, we're, we're so dumb that we have to have helmets to do certain things that we do for fun. Um, but I love it because in battle, helmets are important. They may be one of the greatest pieces of, of battle equipment ever. In ancient times, it was really useful because it was a battlefield, and you could look out at the headgear, and you could tell who was on your team because the, the helmets were shaped different and had different like little feather things and little pointy things and all kinds of stuff that identified your crowd. But another thing, the more practical thing is, it protects your brain from projectiles and blunt objects. Like that is the great thing about a, a helmet, but we're not gonna get into helmets. This is the, the word is salvation. And you'd be a fool to go out onto a battlefield and say, I don't need my helmet, and run out there. And you would be a fool to go out into this fight and forget that God has offered you a chance for salvation. He doesn't explain helmet. He just says, take it. Take your helmet of salvation with you. Because when you're out there and you're struggling in the fight, it is so good to remember like, oh man, I know Jesus, I know his love, and I know he offers victory. And it's, it's reassuring. But you might be in the audience today, you might be sitting in a seat right now, and, and here's the thing, maybe you need to pick up your helmet. Like you haven't been issued one yet. And you're like, you know, I've been really wrestling with this faith thing, but man, I just, I just need to decide, like, I want to go all in. And no matter where you are on that journey, that's fine. Keep coming back for several weeks and spend some time learning. But if you're, if you're right at the cusp of that today, let's make today the day. There's no pomp and circumstance to it. You say, I want to do it. I'm in. You can spend a few minutes if you want at the end of our service. Some of our leaders will be at the back. You can pray with them. But you can accept Jesus right in your seat. And then from there, the first thing we see people do in Scripture is, is go and be baptized in the name of Jesus. It's a moment where we kind of go through a ceremony with God. We have a pool right across the hall. We can baptize you today. You can go home in wet clothes. It might rain anyway. But you can go home with that helmet and you can say, I've got, I've got it. I've got it. I'm in the right hands now. I'm in the right place. We've got the belt of truth. Let's go again. We've got the belt of the breastplate of, feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace, and we've got uh, the shield of, helmet of, finally this. He says, and the sword of the spirit. If you're pumped because you got a sword, yeah, you should be. Swords are sweet. Um, you got a sword. And if you look at the list, this is our only offensive weapon. All the other things are protecting us. And he's like, listen, if you're gonna fight, if you're gonna fight, don't walk out there like this. If you're gonna fight, take one of these. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. We have words of God, and they are powerful. When demons confronted Jesus, when, when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness by, by the devil, when we see in one of the gospel writings, in all those situations, you know what he did? He used words of God to combat them. Jesus, the most powerful name of all, who could have just snapped his finger and made the devil go away. You know what he did to fight with the devil? He quoted Scripture. And so in the pages of our English Bibles, we have tons of words from God. But we've got to be in that thing. How many sword fighters do you think just go out their very first day to like the biggest sword fight ever and they've never practiced with their sword? No, they're sparring. And guys, we need to be sparring. That's why we do small groups. That's why we come to church on Sunday. We need to be in the word. We need to be swing, swing, you know, pulling out. We need to pull out uh, this, old, this, this old school rapper who called it his King James switchblade. And like he's like this thing out. And I loved it because it's, it's the opportunity to get the power of God in our hands because God says, don't go out there with your own words, you idiot. I don't know if God would call us an idiot. I think he would because I think he knows me. 
But I think he would say, take this. This is your sword. Fight with this. And so as we get into the word every week, listen, this isn't just an opportunity for you to come and be spoon-fed God's word. This is a chance for you to be sparring amongst your brothers and sisters, and maybe for the first time, just getting the sword and starting to sharpen it just a little bit. Because we're in the deepest battles of our life, and we go in to our bag of tricks to see how we're gonna combat, and all we got is Jesus wept. I learned that in elementary school because it's the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. I'm gonna head this up and, and fight spiritual forces with it. It's, it's not gonna get us very far. But the more of God's word we have written on our hearts and held inside our brains, the more we'll be prepared to deal with each thing and the more we'll be prepared to stand in the fight. Jesus himself promises us that it's not gonna be easy. Heck no, it's not gonna be easy. We're fighting against spiritual forces here, but we don't have to go in unprepared. The belt of, the breastplate of, feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace, shield of, helmet of, and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. We got here from talking about Rocky. What? Listen, uh, I want to get back to Rocky for a second because I was reading it this, checking it in, checking into it some this week and, and found a really cool interview with Sylvester Stallone about the movie. And a lot of people don't realize that there are a lot of um, Christian undertones in the movie. And according to Sylvester Stallone, it was actually intentional as he prepared the movie. And I don't know, do you know what the very first shot of the movie is? Does anybody remember? It's this image. We got it. Watch it. It's the very, and, and, and that is a Anglo-European Jesus. Um, but uh, it's Jesus, okay? It's Jesus. And then it, and it pans down to this next, it's a picture, but it's this scene, this next image here. See him up there, and that's Rocky fighting. The next thing you see is that they're in the Resurrection Athletic Club. Someone asked him about that. He's been asked about it a ton of times. And this is what, this is what Sylvester Stallone says. He says, what I was trying to say is, this man has been chosen for a journey. He's at the lowest strata of society and we're watching him eventually find Christian ideals. He finds love. He starts bringing people together. And all these people, we would call them society's outcast, and they all come together in one unified family spirit. And that's how they triumph. Alone, they're not very strong, but together, they're invincible. I'm not gonna go as far as to say this is the gospel of Rocky. <laughs> But that's strong, man. The looking over us in our fight is, is the Heavenly Father. He says, listen, you're starting at the bottom, but if you just hang in there and you have faith in me, we're gonna work through this. And you don't have to do it alone. One of the stories of Rocky is, is, is the small community around him that encourages him and pushes him along the way and helps him out along the way. And so I won't spoil Rocky for you, but I will spoil something else for you. That when you're in Christ, you win the fight every time because God loves you. You're adopted into his family and you're given a chance to rise above the battle. And so I wanna close the day with a reminder. This is from 1 Peter chapter 2, verse nine. And this is eerily similar to what, what Sylvester Stallone said about the movie, but this is what 1 Peter uh, 2, nine through 10 says about our lives. He says, but you are a chosen people a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. 
Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Let's gear up. This is the fight. Let's pray.